I'm Lee. And I'm Lauren. And you're listening to Saturation Italicized on Weagle 91.1 FM. Tune in live at 9 p.m. on Tuesdays for your weekly dose of art and design. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to Saturation Italicized. I am your host, Lee. And I'm your host, Lauren. And we have some really fun little topics for you today. But first and foremost, we have to do the plugs. We have to do the plugs. We do. We do. So be sure to check out this podcast on Spotify under the same name, Saturation Italicized. Should be up in the next day or two. Mm-hmm. And also check out our Instagram after the show at saturation.italicized to look at any examples of any artwork or design we talk about today. And Lauren, I think we are now ready to jump right in. Okay. So the first topic we're going to be talking about today is the minimalism rebrand trend. I'm sure sure all of our listeners out there have seen an example of the minimalism rebrand. Um, some examples are Burger King, um, Tropicana, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, Google, Airbnb, all of these have very simple minimalistic logos. So the concept of minimalism actually originated in Japan, and they have a word that means the space between two objects. Um, and modern businesses in, 19, in the 1900s used logos to convey the business name. They didn't really emphasize branding or any sort of marketing. And it wasn't until the 21st century that brands began to modernize their logos. So modern logos today are very minimalistic, elegant, simple, and they're this way so that we can connect, so that brands can connect with people instantly, and people remember simple icons and register them very quickly. Another reason that minimal logos are important is because the brain simplifies complex ideas. So Mm. your brain is just going to look at a structure and simplify it anyway. And so minimalism uses this theory to create simple designs that are classy but are easily set apart from other brands. The benefits of these are they're easy to remember, attention-grabbing, powerful on small size, and easily to s- easily set apart a brand. I know I keep saying that, but that's a really important part of branding and design. So some more examples of just really successful minimal logos are McDonald's, FedEx, which has a little <laughs> arrow in it, which is very important, um, Ford, Uber, Nike, Louis Vuitton. I mean, we've all seen these, and they're all very simple. You could see that anywhere and be like, oh, like, I know that brand. And also with, like, really expensive fashion companies like Chanel. And, yeah. you know, like, you see that, and you're like, oh, that's the Chanel. Yeah, exactly. Um, so some other important aspects of modern logos is the most important part is the font that you use. And we're going to kind of touch on this later, how important typefaces, which are like the graphic design fancy word of saying fonts, <laughs> how important they are to design. Um, and Wait, also, I have a question for you. What is your question, Lee? Are you a sans serifs or a serif girl? And listener, a sans serif is think like times new roman you know how when you type it out on the computer it has the little like marks at the bottom the little feet the little feet at the bottom of like every letter and it kind of makes it look like fancy and old timey mm-hmm. very that luxurious is a, yeah, very yeah yeah it, it always reminds me of like royalty almost mm-hmm. or like writing on parchment mm-hmm. that would be a serif font serif like little feet yeah think like vogue magazine yeah there. yeah yeah and then um, sans serif 
is basically no feet. Think Ariel. Yeah, Helvetica. The vibes. Um, wait, wait. So which one do you like more? Oh yeah, good point. Good point. I forgot to answer the question. <laughs> I don't know. I used to be a serif gal, but now I think I'm a sans serif gal. I I think I'm a sans serif gal. I can't remember the last serif font I use. That's I think fair. it like ages design, which you can go Kinda for, does. but I'm not a huge elegant design kind of person. That's I could true. never design for like Prada or Louis Vuitton or something. I feel like that's a lot of pressure. Oh yeah, for sure. And especially because those logos always get printed on the yeah. merchandise as well. Yeah. So it's like you're also kind of a fashion designer. True. And you have to think about how it's going to work in like a 3D space yeah. instead of just on the paper. That could be a whole things. other topic. Yeah, well, no, merchandise will be for another week. <laughs> literally. Um, okay, so when I was looking up minimalism designs, I saw that geometric shapes represent different things. And I guess I, like, subconsciously knew this, but circles represent spiritual growth, totality, fulfillment, and enlightenment. Okay. Which is interesting. What do you think about that? I'm thinking about, um, I don't know if you've seen this or if anyone else has seen this, but on my Instagram Explore page, I get a lot of like inspirational design posters Mm -hmm. or like, I don't know, maybe self-care would be the best way to describe it. And they always have a gradient on the background and they always have like a circle or a shape and it says like spiritual growth on the inside interesting or like that. do okay. you know what i'm talking about no no oh gosh okay so this is something I can we'll visualize. have to post an example of okay we will because we will. i like them personally okay. um and a square on the other hand represents physical balance structure reliability security and protection see that makes sense there is a bank in auburn and i i don't know if i'm allowed to say it on air but um Maybe you'll know what I'm talking about. There's a bank that has like a square logo mm-hmm. with the first letter of their. I know which one you're talking yep, about. Yep, yep, yeah. yep. It's very established. It's yeah. giving bank. And I've thought about. <laughs> I would hope so. <laughs> I've thought about when I'm driving by it. I'm like, hmm. Like I wonder why they chose to make their logo that way. But I that totally makes sense. Like a square is like I mean that's like a house. It's yeah. sturdy. It's, it's like dependable. structural. Yeah. Yeah, it's very structural. Um, and then the last one I was talking about was a triangle, which represents hierarchy, stability, improvement, and then union of body, mind, and soul. Oh, I love that. I have so a sticky note on my laptop that has a triangle on it, and it says heart, head, body, mm-hmm. and it's you know that's supposed important. to connect. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like in terms of designs, like things of three are always the best mm-hmm. like you don't want to have like e- yeah, exactly yeah. so a triangle kind of you know hints on that too but now lee can you tell us about a packaging design failure <laughs> oh gosh i would love to um so i actually remember seeing a post about this packaging design failure a couple of years ago and it was also in the move towards minimalism like when that first started and i know that's still going on But this was kind of, I think this was back in 2009. So this was right when it was really hitting the airwaves. Mm -hmm. Um, Tropicana has that iconic bottle of the orange with the straw through it. And it's mostly white. It has the green Tropicana logo. But it is not 
refined. It is very home style. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we can also post a picture of the old bottle. Um, but it's iconic. Everyone it's very much the it. early 2000s. Oh, totally. Like totally. when you think about going to the store and buying orange juice, like mm-hmm. you can visualize this and it just fits the aesthetic of the time. But not, not as much anymore, maybe? Questionable? Tell us more. Well, we will, yes, we'll actually see if it uh, still fits the time now. So basically... Back in 2009, Tropicana invested $35 million in an advertising campaign that would promote new packaging for their fruit juice brand, which is important because later consumers have a hard time recognizing Tropicana with their new logo. Interesting. So they pay $35 million to advertise it to show we have a new brand, we have a new logo, new packaging, all of it. Um, But both the packaging design and the advertising company were the same company it was arnell and on january 8th 2009 tropicana launched the new packaging for its best-selling product in north america tropicana pure premium with sales revenues reaching more than 70 million dollars per year however a few days later consumers started criticizing the new design on social networks and two months later sales had dropped by 20 percent oh wow the decrease in sales represented a loss of $30 million for Tropicana all over the new design. That's crazy. And what's crazy is if you look at the newer design, it's very sleek, very simple. It's uh, hopping on some new wave uh, design trends where the main image on the bottle, which was a glass of orange juice, is half on the side, half on the front. Um, kind of new wave design, I guess. I think I already said that. But very sleek. They opted for a new uh, modern typeface, sans serif. And it looks good. Like, I like it. It's not bad design at all. But it's very, very simple. But new wave design was not what this company needed. People wanted the reliable Tropicana that they drank growing up, that they would see in the store with their parents, that they would drink Sunday mornings. Mm -hmm. And the new bottle didn't represent that anymore. And consumers couldn't even really like pick it out of a lineup anymore yeah they didn't recognize where Tropicana was a lot of uh social media commentators even said that they thought like the Tropicana had been discontinued just because they like could not recognize it with the new design interesting so in total this and oh wait 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 on February 23rd, 2009, Tropicana announced that it would return to its original packaging design, and within a few months, the old packaging was back for good on supermarket shelves. In total, this initiative cost Tropicana more than $5 million, on top of the $35 million they originally started with to campaign for the new design and to you know pay the workers for the new design, all of it, the um, art directors. And that's why I think... Even though some design can look good, it's not necessarily what the brand needs. Like, sometimes you're going to mm-hmm. have to stick to what your designer eye is telling you to move away from. Because yeah. ultimately, designers design for consumers, not exactly. for each other. Unless you're, like, an, you know, an illustrator or something like that. That's a little different. But. That's why I kind of feel like Tropicana dropped the bag because they are not designing for their target audience. Yeah. Like, their target audience hated this design. Like, this design mm-hmm. is much more, like... I feel like it's marketed towards a designer. It is. No, it's it is not to sure. like a mom and dad or like a mm-hmm. kid. Like there's no, this is not the target audience. And the target audience made that known. However, I hope, 
our target audience will enjoy Cardigan by Taylor Swift. Wow. Great segue. (laughs) Great segue. Uh, Afterwards, we will get back to y'all with some fun Taylor Swift review on her album designs. Uh, You are listening to WEGL 91.1 FN. Stay tuned. Hello, hello, hello. We are back. And really quick, I want to give out to a shout out to my mom. And mine. Who... (laughs) Who just texted me and told me to shout her out. So this one is for you, Wendy. Feel so special. And Terry. And Terry. We love Terry. We love Wendy. We do. Um, Thank you all for listening to Saturation Italicized on WEGL 91.1 FM. Lauren, I hear you're going to tell me about some Taylor Swift album design. Yeah, I'm briefly going to turn into a Swifty. Briefly? Briefly. I'm going to turn back, though. Um, Okay, so we're going to talk about Taylor Swift's album covers. Um, One of the big things about design is color and typography, a.k.a. fonts, um, and they create certain moods and emotions, and I feel like a really good example of that is Taylor Swift albums. So we're going to throw it back to 2006 with her initial album, which I think is just called Taylor Swift. Um, it's very country, very outdoorsy, innocent. There's like an emphasis on her curly hair, very youthful country. Um, and her colors are just like, I don't even know. She looks like she's a, like in front of a pond or something. She's outside yeah. green and blue. Um, and then her font is her name, like handwritten. And it has that same font on her next album, Fearless. Now this is a little different. It's more empowering with the gold color. She's flipping her hair, being very authentic, true to herself. Um, however, I will say looking at the first two Mm -hmm. side by side, the first one like is very innocent. Like you were saying, very like sweet down home in the south feeling yes and you still get a little bit of that like youthfulness and fearless Mm -hmm. but it is quote unquote fearless she has like the more wild side hair Mm -hmm. flip exactly and i feel like the gold like there's just this whole gold overtone which i think Mm -hmm. contributes to like her feeling powerful um, and this is her crossing over to pop, which I don't know. I feel like the hair flip, it's more pop than it is country. Did she really move to pop that quickly after one album? She had like a couple of pop songs in there. Um, but was she still more on the country side? Yeah, she was still more on the okay. country. Okay. Um, and even Speak Now, she's still kind of dipping her toes in both. It's not until Red that she like completely goes pop. Um, and so now... In 2010, she releases she releases Speak Now with the same font for her handwriting, and then for the word Speak Now, it's like kind of cursive, very light and thin. Um, and I think the purple represents creativity, dignity, independence. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some like theatrical elements, like in the way that she's spinning in her dress, and I think that kind of ties into her experimenting different with different styles and sounds in that album. So it's also kind of the idea that form follows function. So like, the colors that you're using relate to like whatever theme you have going on. Um, I also noticed that so on f- the first album, the backgrounds blue and green, mm-hmm. like nature. I already talked about that. Mm-hmm. The second album. The background is like a cream white color, but she yeah. is also kind of in that cream white color. There's mm-hmm. not a lot of color on that one in general. Yeah. But on Speak Now, she is the big, like, iconic element of mm-hmm. this album design. Like, she's no longer blending in at all, mm-hmm. which, oh, my gosh, she's no longer blending in. She's speaking out. She's speaking wow. now. Wow. 
you just cracked the entire code. Yeah, I'm not a Swifty listener, so this is like new stuff for me as well. We're learning together. We're learning together. Now we're going to talk about her 2012 album, Red. As we all know, Red emphasizes power, love, passion, courage. There's a very like, there's a red emphasis on that picture of her in the album. So it's kind of like her head down, you see part of like the profile of her face. And all of it is kind of shaded by a hat, I think, that she's wearing. Mm-hmm. And then you just see her big red lip. Um, and some, this is an example of Sansurf, her typeface. <laughs> it's the same one for red and taylor swift but with the hierarchy on red of course Mm -hmm. um i feel like she this is her red aesthetic is very distinct she has the high-waisted shorts the 50s dress it was iconic she had the red lip the bangs there was very much an aesthetic to this entire album which i think the album cover ties perfectly into that Mm mm-hmm she was the it girl and she is the it girl on the cover of this yeah she is she is the girl um flash forward to 1989 she's kind of more delicate i think this is her 2014 this okay google told me this was her first full pop pop album um and she has like an 80s aesthetic with like glittery crop tops and a Mm -hmm. bob um the it's a polaroid picture of her which makes me feel like it's kind of like imperfect and authentic and spontaneous, kind of like a work in progress type thing. And the only font on there is what looks like handwritten, like Sharpie on a Polaroid, just TS 1989. So this feels very like more personable and tangible, I think. It's interesting to me that this album was called 1989 and it's her first fully pop album because 80s pop was so iconic, like mm-hmm. 80s synth pop. Yeah. I personally love that genre. Oh, my gosh. Um, and to also have the Polaroid, which is, you know, very 80s core, mm-hmm. you know, not like a digital uh, photo. Mm-hmm. So all of these, like, subtle but connecting elements are really putting an emphasis on her transition to pop. Like, yeah. calling back any listeners, like, iconic or any calling back any listeners, like, thought process to the most iconic era of pop yeah, or one of the I most agree. iconic eras i feel like all of her album covers do a really good job of portraying the music that's in each one mm-hmm. um that includes reputation here's where she just brings out an aesthetic she just has not had before um it follows a year-long hiatus she had after a lot of drama with kim k and kanye so this is a very moody style um, there's black and white, no color. There's like a gothic edgy font. Um, and there's a lot of like newspaper textures, which I think is kind of like an idea that like she's being talked about in the media oh, in like yeah. a negative way and kind of her it's like her response to it. Exactly. But then the complete opposite of that is her 2019 album Lover, where there's like she's like so dainty in her like pastel blue top and she's, she's got this like gradient now. exactly she's got this like cursive written lover there's like the gradient clouds it's very ethereal and delicate and this is where like i feel like she has a lot more just like soft music if that makes sense wait was was it reputation or lover that had the brendan yuri crossover song i want to say lover but i don't know that for a fact i feel like i've seen the music video with him in it the like hey 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 yeah is that the song yeah i think that was think. lover too oh no we need our swifty bestie emily up here to <laughs> confirm or deny um and then she drops two albums in 2020 including folklore and evermore which they kind of give off the same vibe mm-hmm. so folklore is like 
the album cover is like her in the middle of the woods and it's black and white um it's alternative indie album with like songs inspired by folk and escapism so I think it's interesting that like the escapism is kind of like her alone in the woods a strong like Mm. sense of self almost like transcendentalism um and kind of a modern way it's uh it's giving henry david thoreau yeah and walden pond Uh right now it really is (laughs) um and then last but not least we have evermore it was released five months after folklore and allegedly folklore is supposed to represent summer and evermore is supposed to represent winter so the album cover is her much more zoomed in she's wearing like a plaid jacket her hair in a braid very much fall vibes Yeah. yeah a lot of like red tones um and her newest album coming out in 2022 is midnights we haven't seen a lot about that but the album cover that was released she has like bright blue eyeshadow it's very like glam or retro inspired um and has a sans serif type which is just so popping right now so we'll see what more will come of that Basically, what I've learned through this segment is that Taylor Swift's art director, which is a form of graphic designer who focuses on photo design, um, knew what he was doing. I know. I feel like all of Taylor Swift's stuff is just so precise. So precise. The lyrics, the album covers, just everything she does follows her brand of that album so strongly. You know what I'm going to do to follow our brand? What are we going to do? We're going to cut to an ad break. But <gasps> first, oh my I'm gosh. so sorry. But first, uh, I will be playing Ghost Town by Kanye West for everyone. And then I have a couple of things to say about it, but not too much. So y'all enjoy. You're listening to WEGL 91.1 FM, Saturation Italicized with Lee and Lauren. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to WEGL 91.1 FM. This is Saturation Italicized. Be sure to check us out on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts after the show. Should be up in a day or two in case you miss part of the show. Um, Also, check out our Instagram at saturation.italicized to look at any examples of what we discussed today. I am so sorry for playing Kanye West. (laughs) After Taylor Swift, I didn't put that together. So Lauren chose to talk about Taylor Swift. Um, And then when I picked out the rest of the songs for the playlist today, I just went through my liked songs and was like, oh, which one would I, which one do I think is a vibe? We would go with the like artsy theme. And And you thought Kanye West. It's a beautiful song. It is. It's It's a beautiful song. Even more beautiful being played right after we talk about Taylor Swift. (laughs) Dude, I feel like I did such an injustice to Taylor Swift. She didn't deserve that. Um, I also put that in the playlist before everything happened with him um, today and yesterday that happened. I won't go in depth about that, but just let it be known. So... Now that my apologies to T-Swizzle are out of the way, (laughs) on a lighter note, I have a really fun game for us today. I I think it's really fun. Okay. So it's quote identification. And stay with me because I get that that sounds like a test. No, it sounds like my midterm tomorrow. Oh, good luck. Good luck, queen. But this one's a fun quote identification game. So basically... What we're going to do is I have three different quotes for you, all from different types of artists. The first one will be from a fine artist, second musician, and third writer. Okay. I'm going to give you the quote, and you have three choices to choose from who you think said it. So you got to use all of your context skills to guess who said this. All right. Okay. I'm ready. Quote one. 
I put my heart and soul into my work and I have lost my mind in the process. Is this A, Claude Monet, B, Andy Warhol, or C, Vincent Van Gogh? Mm. And I can reread it if you My need. automatic thought was Vincent Van Gogh. You are correct. Okay, good. Claps all okay, around. Good. You get one pretentious like... art student uh, sticker. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I mean, that quote just like perfectly mm-hmm. emulated who he is as an artist and person. But so. what famous, old famous painter isn't also kind of a little insane? I tried yeah, to, that's true. I tried to trip you up with Andy Warhol because he's you a little. You did. You almost had me. Yeah. But once you finished the quote, I was like, oh, that's Van Gogh. Yeah. So it was it was a gut instinct. He did lose his mind, very sadly. And his ear, allegedly. And, and his ear. And his yellow paint. Yeah, it was it was rough. <laughs> he was going through it. Quote number two. This is from a musician. This one, I'm, I was trying to pick out kind of funny ones. Okay. I think it'll make you laugh. Okay. My greatest pain in life is that I will never be able to see myself perform live. <laughs> okay. Is this A, Lady Gaga, B, Kanye West, or C, Nicki Minaj. <laughs> <laughs> um, Which one? <laughs> that's, who was the first one? Oh, Lady Gaga. Yes. Uh, I don't know. I don't think it's Nicki Minaj or how, however you pronounce her <laughs> name. Um, Lady Gaga seems like a contender, but I don't feel like she would say that about herself. I feel like that's almost like too egotistical. So I'm going Kanye. You are correct. Now you have two pretentious art student stickers. Wow. Wear them proudly. I, I will be. Yeah, that one was kind of a dead giveaway, but I had to do a Kanye West one because we played the Kanye West song. This is like a Kanye-themed episode, I, ironically. It's like, it's like we're a house divided. Like, you brought the Taylor Swift, and yeah. I was like, well, I'll bring Kanye yeah. West. Yeah. Okay, quote number three. It might trip you up. Okay. There's a fun little story that'll go along with it afterwards. Oh, boy. You should only read what is truly good or what is frankly bad. Okay. Is this A, Gertrude Stein, okay. B, Ernest Hemingway, or hmm. C, Allen Ginsberg? Hmm. I have to go Hemingway, but I don't have a justification for that. Just because I'm, I've read one of his pieces, pieces as of late, and I'm just... He's a little sarcastic in the way. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he yeah. is. However... Am I wrong? You are wrong, no. Lauren. Was it Gertrude Stein? It was actually Gertrude Stein said it to Ernest Hemingway. <gasps> after, Dude. like, some... It's crazy that they all knew each other. Yeah. Like, thinking about, like, really famous authors just being friends is really weird i wonder if it's still like that like do we think do we think james patterson is friends with stephen king maybe i'm sure they've met maybe they have like book club together have you heard the theory that james oh this might be maybe i shouldn't spread this since it's a rumor uh but re- listener maybe i look up james patterson <laughs> um ghostwriter just dot 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 T and enjoy what you find under that Google search. T. But congratulations, Lauren! You got two pretentious art student stars. Okay, I'm aiming for three next time. Is that should we make this a weekly thing? Yeah. I had a lot of. Fun. I like the I like these quizzes <laughs> testing my art knowledge. Well, technically, you only made a twenty out of thirty, which isn't that. It's not that good of a grade. Wow! I you hope that doesn't to. represent my test tomorrow. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, we won't even speak that into existence. Okay, good. You know what we are going to speak into existence, though? Oh, I smell a segue. You, you would be right. <laughs> We're going to talk about the Auburn logo reband, rebrand failure of 2019. Oh, so, it's funny. We've talked a lot about uh, branding failures today. I yeah. didn't expect Auburn to be one of them. I know. They really just, they messed up. So I'm going to tell you about <laughs> it. So as we know, the Auburn AU symbol, very iconic. So the A and the U are like, the A is a little bit bigger than the U, okay? And there's, like, the two white triangles. They're barely noticeable. And in 2019, Auburn was like, let's make a new logo and let's get rid of the two white triangles. So they made... Wait, you're talking about the white triangles in between the A and the U? Yes. Okay. Auburn was like, let's get rid of that. So they created the most awkward-looking logo where the A covered the little triangle. See, there's, like, a little triangle between the T and the A. Mm-hmm. Or not the T. looks like a T. The top of the U. Um, and Auburn, they kept saying, this is a new visual identity system instead of a new logo. Um, they said they wanted to rebrand so that the logo is more compatible with the many ways that we use it and elevate the Auburn brand. It's bad. It's bad. The logo was leaked to Auburn Undercover <laughs> on a Wednesday. And it was confirmed on a Thursday by the university. And more than 5,000 people had petitioned not to change it. So it was like the Tropicana rebrand. Like the people you were rebranding for were not receiving it well. The Um, people are powerful. The people are powerful. Um, And this is not the first time Auburn had tried to rebrand. So in 1995, Mm. Auburn had a contest and had its fans, or faculty and students consider 42 different logo ideas. So the president at the time, William V. Muse, tried to unite the the university's various colleges, programs, and departments under a single completely new logo. But that, too, was a failure, and none of the logos were chosen, so Auburn stuck with the same one that we still use today. So, Dude, Auburn's got to let it go. I know. Like, I just – their symbols too iconic. too iconic. Yeah, you can't, you can't it change it. It looks good, too. I think so, too. Like, the little triangles, mm-hmm. those are needed well, for me personally. What I really like about our logo is that, obviously, it's an A and a U mm-hmm. for Auburn, but it also just looks like a symbol. Yeah. It, so it's not like LSU where – because LSU is just the L, S, and yeah, U, right? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. This is like a shape of its own. Yeah, yeah. It kind of takes home, takes on its own identity because mm-hmm. I've, I've looked at the logo so long now. I'm yeah. sure you have, like, yeah. since I was, like, five, seeing this, lo- seeing this logo. And it took me a while to even figure out then that it was an A and a U because it looked more like a symbol mm-hmm. to me. Yeah, almost like the Under Armour logo. Same idea of, like, A and a U. Oh my! You're lying to me right now. The Under Armour logo is an A. You see how it looked? It just looks like a symbol. Whoa! Yeah. (laughs) Is it? I guess maybe putting the A under the U was not the brightest idea. Is that how it? That is how the logo Mm -hmm. is, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No. I. Wow. I never. Maybe we'll deep dive into that in another session. Next week. Next week. Next week. Wow. Yeah. I'm really glad Auburn kept the little triangles. I, they kept them, or they were wanted to get rid of them because of something with um shirts and how hard it was to sew mm-hmm. on the two little triangles, right? I don't know. That wasn't in my research, but I mean, I could see that potentially being a problem. Yeah, I heard when we talked about it in, like, the design major, I think mm-hmm. I remember one of the professors talking about it. He spoke about um, 
how like they kind of wanted to rebrand because it was harder to print or to manufacture mm-hmm. the logo with the two triangles because they were so tiny mm-hmm. and it was hard to like especially if it was like an emblem sew them in yeah um but i guess the boohoo boohoo you got to get over it literally it's our logo literally it's and it's a wonderful it's a war damn eagle logo it is i really love it you know what else i love lauren what ad break i knew it <laughs> take us to an ad break please but first we will be listening to and get this it's another uh head jerker after taylor swift and kanye west Tyler Childers. Wow. We're bringing everything to the plate today. (laughs) This is Shake the Frost live at Red Barn Radio. Please enjoy. Thank you, Dr. Phil. I can't believe we got him on the show. Oh my gosh, I can't either. But he has to leave now, so he can't talk to anyone. He would uh, get in the mic, but he's a really busy guy. Yeah, he's already out the door. He's out of the student center as we speak. But he wanted me to tell everyone, thank you for listening to Saturation Italicized on WEGL 91.1 FM. And before we jump into some poetry, I am once again going to plug our Spotify and our Instagram, wow. which are bo- can both be fine under Saturation Italicized or yep. wherever you find podcasts. Be sure to check them out um, to see visual examples of whatever we talk about today. And just to keep up to date with our shows. Yeah, we're posting some fun stuff. Yeah, we, we are posting some fun stuff. We'll start posting some fun stuff. <laughs> True. Um, but that's enough design for the night. Is I it? think, yeah, because it's is. time to get into the italicized portion <gasps> of the saturation oh italicized. Gosh. You're right. I am very, very excited to introduce us to our first writing segment on saturation italicized, which is going to involve a poet very, very near and dear to me named Anne Sexton. So I learned about uh, Anne Sexton two years ago, maybe in my American Lit class. She's really, really famous. She really brought a uh, confessional verse um, and very, very personal lyrics and uh, images into poetry. Uh, think kind of Sylvia Plath level, but I would argue hers was even more conversational, which I love. I love conversational poetry. Anne Sexton was born November 9th, 1928. She lived to be some age. I did not think about that, um, but <laughs> she uh, died October 4th, 1974, and she was an American poet known, as I said earlier, for her highly personal and confessional verse. She won a Pulitzer Prize for poetry in 1967 for her book, Live or Die. So you already know she has to be good if she's going to win a Pulitzer Prize, right? True. Do you read any Anne Sexton? Have you ever read her before? The name is so familiar, but I don't know if it's like I just know that name because she's famous or I know her because I've read her work. I don't think I have, honestly. Definitely check out some more poems than what I'm going to be reading today. She is a sad girl's bestie. Love her. Um, I really admire her poetry. I love writing poetry. It is probably my biggest passion in life, probably even over design because it is way more of a hobby than a career. Mm -hmm. Um, And I really enjoy writing very emotional, conversational-based poetry. And I was thinking about... What I write today would not be considered poetry if it was not for uh, front runners like Anne Sexton and like mm-hmm. Sylvia Plath and maybe even Allen Ginsberg. They really brought true, true emotions to poetry because if you look back to um, more like transit, transit, oh my goodness, transcendentalism or even like romanticism poetry, even though 
the poetry was romantic. It was like it was romantic. It wasn't sad. It wasn't what people think about poetry today, Mm -hmm. which is very emotional and very taken out of what you feel in your heart. Right. And we have so much of that to owe to Anne Sexton. She found early acclaim with her poems, and a number were accepted by publishing houses such as, or publications such as The New Yorker, Harper's Magazine, and The Saturday Review. She uh, was very successful very quickly, which you will see why when I read some of her poetry in a second. Anne Sexton later studied with Robert Lowell at Boston University alongside poets Sylvia Plath and George Starbuck, which goes back to what we were saying earlier, famous artists. They just run other. in the they same circles. Um, so I would like to read you the poem, The Starry Night by Anne Sexton, before we hop off air tonight. Thank you so much to everyone who's listened thus far. This is The Starry Night. That does not keep me from having terrible need of, shall I say, the word religion. Then I go out at night and paint the stars. This quote was said by Vincent Van Gogh in a letter to his brother, and Anne Sexton decided to attribute it at before her first stanza. The town does not exist except where one black-haired tree slips up like a drowned woman into the hot sky. The town is silent. The night boils with 11 stars. Oh, starry, starry night. This is how I want to die. It moves. They are all alive. Even the moon bulges in its orange irons to push children like a god from its eye. The old unseen serpent swallows up the stars. Oh, starry, starry night. This is how I want to die. Into that rushing beast of the night, sucked up by the great dragon to split from my life with no flag, no belly, no cry. In this poem, Anne Sexton is going through the famous painting, The Starry Night by Vincent Van Gogh, and she is explaining her want to live or die in this idyllic world that she believes is so much better than the world we currently live in. And I mean, in a way it is, but that is because it's imagined world. It is a fake world that has been conjured by the minds of another artist. She goes on to say that this is a metaphor for the way art can consume their artists, that they would want to die in their art. She wants to die in this painting by an artist who killed himself because of his work. Or not because of his work, but, you know, it's definitely related. And I just think it's so interesting to study how all of the arts can go together, especially how we like to do that in our podcast. Like, we Mm want to talk about design. We want to talk about fine arts. We want to talk about music, writing. It's just all of it. It goes hand in hand. And it's really such a beautiful thing to see them live in such perfect harmony. And especially just writing being so near and dear to my heart, just to see it play off of a more visual field such as painting. Yeah. It's it's just incredible. She's incredible. I really like that piece. And I, well, I really like Starry Night. Yeah, it's a, I'm biased. It's such a good it's painting. It's such a good painting. <laughs> I saw it in person when I was like 13 and I saw it and I think my jaw just hit the floor. I just sat in awe. I was like, this is really like what he made wait where is it it's in the museum of modern art in uh in new york city i think why did i think it was in italy no it's i in, thought it was in, the in new york no i don't think is, so is the mona lisa in the Louvre? yes okay that, that's what i'm thinking but about the it. starry night in new york it was just out like i could touch it i would probably get kicked out of the museum for oh. life but it wasn't covered by anything i was just like guys it's kind of an important piece i feel like there should be some security but 
I think if I touched the Starry Night, I would actually probably start crying. Felt. Because, wow. I know. He. It's powerful. He was a powerful artist. The textures and colors he uses, I mean, it's just phenomenal. And then the way that Anne Sexton chooses to describe that painting, I just think. It's very captivating. Perfectly. Yes. And with that, listeners, we will be bidding you adieu. I hope you have a wonderful night. Be sure to tune in next week at 9 p.m. to listen to more art, design, music, writing, and whatever else we want to talk about. I have been your host, Lee. And I'm Lauren. And all that's left to say is one. War War damn damn eagle. eagle. Oh, we got it this time. (laughs) Bye, guys. Thank you. Thank you for listening. This was Saturation Italicized with your hosts, Lauren and Lee. Tune in next week at 9 p.m. on Tuesdays for more art and design discussion. And follow our Instagram at saturation.italicized. War Eagle. Hi, I'm Lee. And I'm Lauren. And you're.